0: hello welcome to cats got your tongue this is our feline friendly podcast in association with the charity cats protection i'm your host adam brown and i'm obsessed with cats i'm not ashamed to admit that and every episode of cats got your tongue we chat to celebrity guests and we speak to them about their funny cat related stories we cover everything from tabbies to torties, and we're going to be tackling your cat dilemmas as well as always So as much as I absolutely love cats, uh, I know a little bit about them, but listen, I'm not as clued up as Nikki, our expert from Cats Protection. Uh, hi, Nikki. how are you?
1: Hi, Adam. I'm good, thanks. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. I'm good, I'm good. Uh, it's nice to be back, and it's nice to see you again, and it's nice to uh, get another chance to talk all about the wonderful world of cats.
1: Our favourite subject. <laughs> I know,
0: you know, this is it. Like, I feel like it's like a, a little bit of... Uh, like, I don't know, just like a little bit of an opportunity just to have something that I can really, really kind of go all in on. Like, because my mates, they know I'm like, you know, mad about cats. But, you know, I think that I've exhausted all the avenues of them now. So
1: Definitely. And there's always something like a bit like a mindfulness, isn't it? About just going to the zone and just thinking about cats and not much else.
0: Yeah, that's it. Nothing else. Just cats. Um, and there's an interesting article, actually, that I saw that I, I wanted to uh, talk to you about. Um, it just popped up. It was on uh, Men's Health magazine. And it was just talking um, about the impact of cats on mental health. And it actually referenced a cat's protection study in 2019. And I read it and I was like, yes, cat's protection got a mention in (laughs) mental health. I love it. So it was a 2019 study, right? And it said that 93.7% of cat owners said that their pet has helped their mental health. Now, that is a massive, massive number. But interestingly as well... This is where I, I've really kind of got into it. It said that the chemical effect that spending time with a cat is something that can actually be measured. So there's a rele- release of oxy- oxytocin. Oxytocin, yeah, that's it, right? Okay. I was about
1: to say, is it oxytocin? Yeah, yeah. yeah. the sort of like the bonding hormone makes you feel good and love. Yeah,
0: so, probably it's called the cuddle chemical.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that
0: works too. <laughs> um, which then boosts cat owners' overall well being. And it reduces feelings of loneliness. And it says that there's obviously a a particular sort of endemic amongst men as well, where, you know, generally speaking, you know, a a massive generalization. But, you know, a lot of men kind of find it hard to open up sometimes and kind of struggle quite silently with mental health problems. So you've heard it here, apparently, according to Men's Health magazine, that having the... uh, Having a cat as a pet can actually really, really help your mental health. I think it does. I I've definitely benefited from from that. Yeah, definitely. I really do. And 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 you know, I, I expect you've probably seen that numerous times, Nikki, with the work you've done with Cat's Protection. Definitely.
1: So I mean <laughs> the message there is everyone just needs to go and get a cat, don't Essentially, they? Essentially, yeah. And we have thousands at Cats Protection waiting <laughs> for you <laughs> to come and find your perfect feline friend. But it says as well that
0: having a cat can also trigger the release of dopamine and serotonin which are key hormones associated with regulating mood
1: yeah so basically all the really good hormones you want all of those and and yeah it makes you feel so good and i think that's maybe why we struggle to think why we love cats so much because we're having this really chemical reaction to how good it feels um from i think everything from like touch because they're so soft and then the purr you know there's that's so calming and there's nothing better is it than a cat on your lap when you're all snuggled up watching tv or something and it's that real sense of zen
0: yeah do you know what's weird as well is that obviously you know i've had i've been a cat owner for like three years now and i've become so massively like you know embroiled in the world of cats but I, sometimes i have if you have a bad day like everyone has a bad day don't they at work or whatever and oh you know you're going through something in your life and then you can be absolutely fuming, like driving home in the car and it's something on your mind and you're overthinking something and it's spiraling and you're getting out of control and you're like, ah. and then as soon as you open the door and you see your cat, <laughs> sometimes I forget what I'm annoyed about. Like, I know it sounds, uh, but you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, okay, the world's good. Everything's okay in the world now. The cat's here, it's fine. And I'm like, what was I really angry about? Doesn't matter. I've got my cat. We're all good. Uh, So yeah, I just thought it was worth sharing that with you. And uh, yeah, it's nice to see that Cats Protection got the little little shout out. And also 93.7% of people can't be wrong, can they?
1: No, you exactly. <laughs> well, the, you wonder with well, the last few percent, like what what was going on with them? I know. <laughs> Why don't... is it not a hundred percent? It's a nice, really high figure, but uh, and which we're obviously in that that percentage of it. But yeah. um
0: but this, yeah, the six point three percent out there that. Mm,
1: They were like, oh, no, not so much. (laughs) Maybe they just don't have that bond, perhaps, that we have with
0: our cats. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So, Nikki, of course, as always, you're on hand to answer any questions that anyone might have, uh, big or small, about their cats or anything they want to share about their cats. uh, If you want to get in touch and get involved, you can pod at cats.org.uk. We also want to hear your funny stories because, let's face it, cats crack us up and cat-related dilemmas as well. Uh, Something we like to call your cat's tales, which we're going to be uh, moving on to a little bit later on today on Cat's Got Your Tongue. We'll be going through them later on, as I said, with this week's special guest. So I'll tell you what, let's find out which cat-loving celebrity we're chatting to today. So each week on Cat's Got Your Tongue, um, I'm joined by a guest who is... A huge cat lover, and they generally love cats just as much as me. A cat ally, if you will. Uh, my guest today has been entertaining on stage for nearly 20 years. He's an award-winning comedian, and he recently sold out one of his shows in just eight minutes. Let's give a warm welcome to the brilliant Russell Kane. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, Russell. How are you, mate?
2: Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's a, it's a crazy week in my, in my industry, absolutely. So I'll tell, tell you what, pets are a solace. This has been proven, by the way. This isn't just some... Um, a uh, facile statement that stroking or owning an animal, particularly a cat, because it tends to sit on your lap, uh, will actually lower your heart rate, lower your stress. So in times like this, with there's journos coming at you for things you know nothing about and asking you silly questions to try and get you in, in a tiz, switching all your devices off and just sitting there watching a film with a cat, that's therapy, mate.
0: Well, this is the thing. Now we've got a chance to just... Talk just about cats and yep. the wonderful world of cats and yep. uh, just how much, you know, we love them um, for, you know, multiple reasons. So I think the best way to start, Russell, is just to kind of tell us a little bit about your current cat situation. Um, how many cats have you got? Who are they? What are they like? Right. So I've got, uh, at the moment, I've got three. Um, I've
2: had cats since I was five. Um, when I left home and I was living in my first, what was basically a studio flat and I was not allowed any cats I got a house rabbit instead and trained it to use a litter tray, which the landlord agreed that I would be able to to have, which little did the landlord know, you'd much rather have a house cat than a house rabbit in in your (laughs) flat. But uh, yeah, uh, so I've I've literally always, apart from when I was at uni, always had feline um, company. Um, The current troupe are young. They're the newer newer batch. After my beloved Keith, the Burmilla, passed away aged nearly 20 at the start of lockdown, the new tribe started coming in one by one. We've got Terry, the Burmese. He's in the room with me right now. He's a typical Burmese. I've got Donna, my female Devon Rex. Mental, skittish, sometimes your friend, sometimes hanging off you like a monkey, sometimes running away. And then I've got the most typical ragdoll ever created, Bobbins, who's like... (laughs) I love bobbins, but he's. I need a bit more. My wife loves him. I need a conversation. I need a relationship. And the, the my Burmese, yeah, he's my favourite. The others aren't listening, but he is. Oh, I
0: can't believe you've got a favourite, Russell.
2: Yeah, I know. It's bad, isn't it? Well, it's, it's typical of my personality. I need feedback.
0: I need to be wanted. I need to be liked. That's why I'm a comedian. So, obviously, you've had cats, you know, from being young. Why... Do you? Could you imagine not having a cat now, or would you? Will you always have cats?
2: No, my life is very, very unsuitable to pets. I'm in hotels a lot. I'm away a lot. Obviously, my wife Lindsay and my daughter are at home, but then we are big on holidays. I don't we have any luxury clothes. Everything's from ASOS. My car's a 1986 BMW. I've got a nice house. I don't spend money on on the usual stuff Essex people spend it on but holidays are my that's my thing because I go away and I unwind sadly traveling long haul with cats not very kind practical and not even allowed in most countries so I do miss them a lot we always I don't use I know the categories are great but I prefer to have someone stay at my house um so even when it was so unsuitable, when I was working full-time in an ad agency, out of the bed at seven, in at seven, doing gigs at night, I still had two cats. And one of those was a Tonkinese. That's one up from a Burmese. I mean, they need human company. So I've had to really work with resources and, and spend money to make sure my cats have a company they need. But it's worth every penny because I get so much from them.
0: Nicky, you know uh, what Russell's saying there about, you know, when you go on holiday and you go away, what's the best sort of thing to do uh, for your cat? Is it, you know get a friend to check in or you know who's the best person to kind of leave your cats with
1: it will depend on each person's situation because it does vary and particularly on the individual cats as well but um because they're so territorial and they like their own you know where they're from um getting a cat sitter into your own house is really helpful um so certainly my cat stays at home whenever i go on holiday and he's really he likes to have everything in his place and know where things are and and have that freedom to come and go Just
2: to add to that, it makes a difference whether you've got one or two cats. There are definitely some that are more solo than others.
1: Yeah, mine's solo.
2: (laughs) But that guilt guilt of going away when I see, they're all Essex names, sorry, Terry and Donna curled up together, the guilt is fractional. And so on the days my Auntie Christine, can't be actually staying here 24-7. I don't feel as guilty if it's someone just calling in for half an hour a day. There's no signs of distress. There's no destructive behaviour. There's no soiling. There's no howling. They seem to be happy. I've got a very privileged to have a massive garden that I've cat-proofed that they cannot leave. Although, of course, Houdini has got out twice here. Um, so they've got nature. They're out there. They don't use a litter tray indoors. They've got birds. They've got There's loads of boredom busters. And they've got each other. Three is an uneasy number, though. I didn't realise that. I don't know if if that's a thing. Maybe the cat expert could say that. probably one of my questions for the end. Is it okay to have three cats, or should I have four? Save that one for our cat question section.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, we can come back to that, Russell. Don't worry about that. So how how do you keep your cats entertained? Are, Are they quite high maintenance? Do they need a lot of attention from you? Bobbins,
2: yeah, I could run a live mouse past his face, and he would struggle to animate himself. Whereas... Terry, I can literally, all I've got to do is look around a door, look around again, and the game's on. He'll chase me around the whole house, hide and seek. And the Burmese play for much, much later into their life. So all the Burmese I've had were still playing at 10, 11 years old before they slowed down. But uh, yeah, so Terry will do anything, but it's more about the emotional attention. He wants cuddles, he wants to be with me. They're not allowed in this part of the house without us opening the door that accesses my office and the bedrooms. They're not allowed to roam the stairs and the bedrooms freely. They only have the kitchen and the garden. Um, so they come through as a tree. Well, he, by the time he was nine months, he could open uh, that door. Uh, we've had to fit a lock at the top that you turn, but the, the other person can turn from the other side to get back through. He now looks at that lock and can judge whether it's at the right angle to trust getting out. So he's incredibly bright. Um, and when I come back from holiday, I get a normal greeting from my dog and from my other two cats, whereas Terry, I get cold-shouldered and Moodily looked at for 20, it's like I'm being punished, uh, and then and then all of a sudden he'll come round and how they talk because some breeds talk more than others as well. So, Bobbins, my ragdoll, silent until it's tuna time. Um, whereas Terry, I can have a full, con- you're right, yeah, what do you want to do, yeah, I like a chat. And Donna, the female one, well, she's like just wants to talk about everything the whole time. One day she's in a bad mood, next day she's happy, one day she loves me, one day she doesn't. It's a full on a toxically emotional relationship.
0: <laughs> so we've got a little bit of an insight there into um, how you communicate with your cats, Russell, because I think everyone, all cat owners, we, we, we have a, a slightly different personality on display when we're around our cats. <laughs> I know I do. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you yeah. know what I mean? I'm a, a compl- like, I don't know. I t- I'm like a different person when I'm talking to my cats. And obviously the voice is reflected in that as well. Uh, and something yeah. we do on this podcast is with uh, guests, we try and get them to give us a little flavor of how they talk to their cats, uh, using like a a cat voice, essentially. We had um, uh, the comedian Abby Clark on recently, um, and this is how she speaks to her cat. Have a listen.
1: I mean, you do, you do the... Like that. And then probably just like... Like that. Just like just Like that.
0: So that's quite a, you know, quite quite a a, a good example of uh, of talking to your cat. So uh, do you do that, Russell? Or...
2: I, I do. Ter- Terry gets more. You all right, mate? How you doing, Terry? You okay, Terry? Yes. Baba. Oh, come here. Uh, and and that's a sign of how much they trust you. I mean, Terry will let you know when a game's over by doing that gently. Uh, but the other two. No, I mean nothing. Yeah, they just would never ever raise a, a
0: paw or a tooth. Yeah. But Terry's like, oh, I've had enough now. Get down! But he never, I've never would draw blood or anything no. unless he needs his claws clipped. Look, is there, is there like certain signs? Because I think you know, all cat owners at some point, when you are, you know, when you do have that sort of um, physical interaction uh, with, with the cat, and they let you know when enough's enough um you know what are the usual kind of telltale signs
1: i think that's all the subtle ones is probably the ones to really discuss because like yeah we all know like if they're sort of pushing us away or get the claws out or even mouthing which is where they sort of it doesn't hurt they're using a lot of force but they are doing a very gentle bite we kind of know what that means the ones that we really miss are the um if they blink in quick succession so a blink 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 that's a sign of stress um yeah, when they lick yeah. up to their nose that's also a sign of stress gulping or swallowing when they're not eating also a sign of stress and also just trying to like look away so it's those sort of subtle signs they give first before they then start to try and push away and they're the ones that we often miss
2: mm. yeah the slow blinking is when i know terry's really happy the, Yeah, yes I say
1: that the slow blink's fantastic it's yeah. the
2: fast blink we've got to watch out for yeah the, the slow the slow blink and, and the eyes closed temper washing as well sometimes he will do if he's not happy a bit of temper grooming like i say you can't go through terry the door's closed i'm sorry and, and, and it'll sort of tem- seem to
1: temper wash your leg is that a thing it's, it's called displacement behaviour. So it's basically where there's a conflict in the brain and they're like, I want to do this one thing, but then there's this you know, obstacle in my path, what do I do? And there's, it buys them thinking time about what they should do next and it is that fast lick. This is a kind of conflict of not sure what to do. It's a bit more like when people say, um, when they're trying to think what to say next. Right,
0: okay, okay. So, Russell, I think, you know, something that we've learned on this podcast, uh, speaking to uh, various guests and, of course, various cat lovers, is that... um We tend to do ridiculous things to appease or treat our cats. Um, Now, I imagine that you do that. I don't know why, but I can imagine that you really, really, like, especially with your lad, your favourite. It's it's more the physical affection and
2: and the love and the amount of times they get kissed a day. It's just not in a cat's nature. The poor species has had to evolve to such an extent to deal with humans' emotional needs. There can't be much of Felix left in there. Um, but I should get a treat and maybe I will before the end I have this is the other thing that people don't understand about cats they need to be trained when they're I don't know how we've got to a place where we bring a dog home and it's puppy classes and socialization and making sure it's okay with children but we bring a cat home sling a litter tray down and walk out and expect that you're going to get the same result and relationship that someone has with their spaniel you must work You have to train your cat. You've got to do the work slowly. All three of them are clicker trained. If my cats are in the garden and I'm like, oh, my cats have got help. Today's the day one of my cats is dead and I can't find them. All I've got to do is go click and bang, all three return for a a food reward. Um, Two of them high five. Terry's one of them. I'll show you in a bit. He sits. He will sit with the hand signal like that or, or the command sit. And then he will high five for a treat. You know, people don't utilise the potential of these amazing creatures. And the discipline is more than just getting your cat to roll over or jump or chase you. It's about exhausting and stimulating those parts in a cat's brain that need to be stimulated. And the more you do that, the greater
0: the bond and the more they look at you like a fellow cat. Nicky, you know, when it comes to having that, you know, the the early stages, because I think with, with kittens, sometimes people don't really know, just how sort of intense it can be. What, what are the key sort of stages in, in, in development, you know, in terms of when we, we should be putting in that, that kind of Effort. training, if you will, or, you know, that, that sort of extra care?
1: So most people don't realize, well, most people don't think about the kitten socialization period or realize that they have one. And second mm-hmm. of all, it's really young. The research shows that it's two to seven weeks. So it is when they're with their mothers most of the time um, and whichever caregivers are with them. And that's where it's really key to get all those different experiences in, they need to be positive. So you can't just like (laughs) flood them with loads of different experiences, it needs to be gradual and gentle, but repeated positive experiences over those few weeks. Um, and that makes the biggest difference. I've done it personally. So, my cat cato, I socialized him myself. Um, I fostered the queen and then the litter of kittens um from cat's protection, obviously. Um, and I was really nervous when he came for his first year vaccinations because they knew that I'm a you know a behaviorist, I'm a veterinary nurse. And so there was a lot of expectation that, you know, he would sort of sail through it. And um and I was really relieved because he just came out of the cat basket really casually he just laid down on this cat scales and was like really chilled and they're like oh he's so well behaved and I was outwardly like yeah yeah of course and then inwardly I was like
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so happy that works but it does and it's,
1: he's fine with fireworks I mean I think so many out there owners listening will be thinking oh I'd love to have a cat that's not afraid of fireworks they have to put it in the beginning
2: yeah exactly. a tv yeah the tv playing you can get like yeah. a fireworks channel on youtube and start it quiet turn it up then get a speaker and get it to really loud yeah and and get it to the point where the cat doesn't give a toss about fireworks
1: definitely or go on the cats protection website where we have a yes. socialization section including fireworks We've Oh, got brilliant! Like, yeah everything hoover or vacuum cleaner noises um eight different doorbells party sounds children crying you know babies crying all sorts and um, we played it to the kittens every single day for like, you know, the first few weeks of their life. And it makes a huge, huge difference. Mm. And so, yeah, he's been brilliant.
0: I've been to uh, one of the adoption centres, one of the Cats Protection Adoption Centres. And there's so many different cats that mm. have got different backgrounds and they've come from different family setups and different sort of households and that kind of thing. So, Nikki, I think all across the country, the, 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 there is so many different sort of examples of cats that have come from those different sort of places, really, in terms of, you know, the the, the sort of the the dynamics. So I think really generally people, if they're going to adopt like an older cat, they can generally find one that's going to suit their needs, can't they?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, we found out lots of information about the cats you know, from the previous owners when they're coming into our care. We also have um, male staff and volunteers. So we particularly mm. make a, a strong effort to get them involved in our kitten socialisation programmes to make them more well-rounded. Because you're yeah. totally right, Russell, like that, if they've not been exposed to men in that period, then they are much more fearful of them. And what's interesting is that most owners at that point say, oh, doesn't like men, probably been kicked by a man. Yeah. This is I want to say, well, actually, maybe it's just poor socialisation.
2: Yeah, yeah, very true. It's also, with an older cat, it's whether you've got existing cats. I'm, I don't know if people are aware how difficult it is. I'm a sort of cat, very experienced cat user. I've written a book on cats. And even I find introducing two cats a really stressful yeah. process. And we're talking about bringing a kitten in to an adult cat's environment. With this one here on my lap, no issue at all. Curiosity can't wait to have a grooming buddy. But with Donna, oh, my God, it's, it's week, it was weeks, maybe six weeks, and she's still not comfortable around the ragdoll. Unfortunately, the <laughs> ragdoll is now like that. So I don't think she's ever going to fully bond with that cat. It's just and I did everything that you could so it's you've also got to think about your existing as well and and the temperament of the animal coming in and them and how what's their threshold there is no way i could bring an adult cat into this house without donna ending up being rehomed or the cat so it'd be pointless me trying
0: yeah i've I've had difficulty that with introducing two cats before and what, what what's the science behind it Nikki? is it is it something that's occurred in the cat's life when they were a kitten that's kind of then affected their ability to kind of you know um be be cooperative with another cat or is it is it something as they get older that happens i just it seems to be quite random some cats is like well it, it can't be rehomed with another cat it has to be solo so how does that work
1: so there's lots of different layers and so starting at the very baseline layer that is cats as a species and cats as a species are actually more of a solitary survivalist type animal they're not they're not obliquely social compared to say dogs rabbits etc but then you get the other layers on top of that so that's where we start off and then you've got individual differences so you've got genetics playing a role which therefore also you've got the breeds making a difference too so some will be much, much naturally more social than others However, socialization plays a role. So if you have even like a super social pedigree, but they've not been exposed to other cats in that socialization mm. period, potentially they may mm. not be that friendly towards other cats. And then after socialization comes uh, previous experiences, current experiences, et cetera. So if they've been, I don't know, beaten up by another cat in the neighborhood, they might be therefore naturally more wary of other cats. So Every cat's an individual. you know. They've got this personality and it's shaped by all those different factors.
2: I think the more nervous the cat, the more difficult it is. With two dominant cats, I've experienced a bit of a fight followed by a great and sort of equals mutual respect. The nervous cat never seems to get over the idea that at any moment it's gonna be killed by the other cat. And that seems to be our donor lives her life around the ragdoll, sadly so that's a little bit of stress we have in our home it's, a, well, it's not like to the point where they can't be in the same room but she's never got past those nerves every time he moves she moves like that so some cats yeah. are just they're all born with their individual temperaments some are nervous some are bold some are dominant some aren't some are sleepy some aren't
1: yeah it's um it definitely plays a role and then also the uh energy level of the cat so for example yes this is why yeah. you were saying about like, well, older cats are so difficult because everyone wants to go get a kitten when they've got very senior cats and it's a bit like getting a toddler for a grandparent it's a it's a very different energy mismatch um mm. it's interesting what you say about dominance because yeah. it's one of those uh, misconceptions that we hear a lot across the public and um Cats aren't actually dominant. It's a, it's much more down to the fact that they're territorial, yeah. there's confidence levels, but they don't have like a pecking order hierarchy in cats as no. much as everyone thinks that they do. They don't because then it comes back down to that evolutionary background where they've got shared ancestry with the African wildcats. So they're sort of solitary, you know, doing their own thing, chilling and not really bothered about other cats. And if they are, they're worried about mm. them taking their food resource. So it's not really...
2: With, with my shortest... Uh cat resident, Roy, no longer with us. He was, all of the things that could go wrong went wrong from the moment he arrived. So we, what we did was we got a sock that stank of the other cats and I put that sock over my hand and then petted him with that sock to try and get him to a point where he at least stopped hissing at the sock, which still took about a fortnight for getting used to the smell.
0: Yeah, and and it it is such a difficult thing to actually, I mean, I've got like friends who've, had one cat and then they've introduced another one. It's been absolutely fine. And I'm like, oh god, why? Did it? It's, yeah. it's so, like that. yeah. It's so so difficult to actually get it right. But you know, perseverance, I suppose.
2: My my observation, admittedly, it's, it's in my whole life. I've probably only been exposed to so many so many adult cats. A lot of kittens. My mum was a uh, registered Burmese uh, breeder, so we were a couple of her uh, friends. But in broadly speaking, it seems to be the more dog-like in inverted commas. The breed, the less hassle I've had with the territorial behavior, basically, to the point where my Bermilla, Keith, Lord love him, when another cat came into the garden, he went up to say, Oh, mate, what's your And then, of course, got a smack in the mouth. He didn't go up hissing and blown up. He was, a kitten walked in and Keith ran over to protect it. Very unusual behavior for an adult male cat. But that's what the Burmese are dog like in so many ways. The recall, the the um the emotional bond the um agility and performance training so yeah Mm. that's just my little um, anecdotal observation
0: so russell um obviously you're so passionate about cats and you've actually backed a few initiatives with cats protection in the past um i remember there was um a thing that you got involved with where it was sort of campaigning for microchipping to be part of a, a parliament green paper um you know tell us a little bit more about that i mean obviously it's a it's a great cause, but why are you so passionate about it?
2: Because the worst feeling I've ever experienced, uh, I can experience as a pet owner, worse than the body of my cat being brought to my door is not knowing where my cat is. Um, terrible when you lose an animal for whatever reason, but you your brain is able to process what's going on. Last week, something went wrong with a cat proof. Always human error. This cat, one that's currently under my... T- <laughs> my bloody t-shirt terry was so um clever he checks every part of the border every day for any weakness or any fox damage or something like that. and he was gone gone like that he has a an apple air tag on his collar so i can track him on my phone and he has a, a, a microchip the apple air tag got ripped off as he was escaping he couldn't make it up so i found the air tag uselessly hanging off a fence and then i'm sort of blubbering like a toddler that's had a dropped ice cream, for 20, even though I know most cats that will walk to any stranger or towards any um, death object they can find are more are more in danger. 70 to 80. I think it's 80% of cats come home within 24 hours, it might even be higher than that. And he did came back, but he made us wait 36 hours. The, where where was he for 36 hours? What did he do? We had to keep the other cats in and disable the cat proofing because I was worried about, well, what if he can't find the root bag that he took out? Um, so the others were going furious with litter trays in, indoors. Uh, horrible, going to sleep with your guts bubbling. You're just waiting for that phone call, which I have received once in my life, to say we well, you know we scanned that microchip. Uh, but that is why the microchip is important because had something awful happened to Terry, most most of the time people are going to report a dead cat at the side of the road, and the microchip can be scanned. Yeah, that's why it's so important when all else fails. And I had a, I had an Air an Apple yeah. tracker on my cat, and that's my secondary my, ter, my primary system. Cat proofing failed. My secondary system, AirTag failed, and the very last system you've got is a microchip.
0: I mean, Nicky, in terms of microchipping, generally speaking, that most cats have a microchip but in terms of what cats protection can can do and the advice they can give what's the stance on it
1: so the campaign went really well we're so pleased and it's now been passed as law which is fantastic um so be compulsory to microchip your pet cat uh from june 2024 and after that that's when the fines come in um and it's really you know quick and easy to do um and one of the key things about microchipping is to make sure that your contact details are kept up to date because that really helps then to reunite your lost cat with you.
0: So does that apply to specific ages of cats then, Nikki? What's the what's the guideline for that?
1: The guidelines are any kitten over twenty weeks will need to be microchipped.
2: I, I mean, at the very least that could happen is the GCCF. It shouldn't. You should not be allowed to sell a kitten It should be microchipped with its final set of jabs at twelve weeks. I, I, I think most breeders do that, but it should be illegal to not do it in, in my opinion
1: yeah i mean certainly all rescues all reptile rescues or uh, their cats will mm. as well so they are cat protection it's i guess it's those sort of people have accidental litters in their homes uh that'll be particularly targeting with the new legislation
0: i think it's all that problem is that people like you say the, those sort of unexpected litters and people um you know selling cats on you know facebook marketplace or giving cats away and that that's probably where some slip through the net so that's something that as i said when this becomes you know, fully kind of enforced, hopefully we'll see that, you know, becoming less prevalent. So hopefully, fingers crossed, that that's gonna happen.
1: It'll make a big difference by the way to strays as well, because one of the biggest reasons for intake into cats protection are stray cats. And I do think a lot of them mm. are actually just missing pets. Um, and, you know, obviously every cat that comes into our care as a stray is, is scanned. But it's a huge number of cats that aren't. And I'm really hopeful that by having the compulsory microchipping, it will reduce the number of strays coming into our care.
0: Yeah. Mm. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take a little moment. We're going to pause. Uh, Russell's going to stay with us um, because next on Cat's Got Your Tongue, we're going to be going through your cat's tails. We'll be back after this. Right, next on Cat's Got Your Tongue, it's time for your Cat's Tales. This is where we get to hear from you uh, and you share with us your feline disasters, your success stories, uh, your questions, anything cat-related, essentially. uh, We're here to help. Don't forget, if you do want to get involved, you can uh, give us a shout, pod, at cats.org.uk. We'll start off with a little Cat's Tale from you, Russell. Anything you want to ask? Any questions? Any dilemmas?
2: Yeah, it's what I said earlier, so my, uh, my mother in law said you should never have three pets because you always end up with a two and one being left out and there's more opportunity for conflict. Sure enough, that is exactly what's happened. There's always someone on the outskirts while the two are grooming each other. Have I just been unlucky or should you always get cats in even numbers so they can always form little pairs?
1: it depends on the individuals involved. So there'll be there would definitely be some groups of threes out there where they're all bonded with each other, and uh, mutual grooming each other in one big furry ball. Um, and equally, you might have three cats where each of them are their own social group. And they don't like any of the other two cats they live with. So it really depends on the individuals. It also depends on the amount of, amount of resources in the home. So they need to have one resource per cat plus one extra to try and avoid any sense of competition.
2: And and what's what do you do if you're in a situation like me, where you've got two cats that really don't like each other? They are not like fighting and rolling around the garden because it's not in Donna's nature. She's a very, she, she's not an aggressive cat. She's only happy what if I bring her one-on-one in a room and she's checked in the room, there's no other cats in there and her whole personality changes, rolling around on the floor, purring, daddy's girl uh, in the other room. She's a nightmare, hissing and growling, not at the human, but if the human picks her up and she's not sure who's underneath her sh- yeah. they you, you could be on the receiving end of a growl or a hiss i've never had a cat growl at me it's never um yeah. and it gets my wife down and she takes it personally and, you know donna doesn't like me and all that and then the next day they're upstairs like you know petting each other so what's going on there
1: I think you touched on loads of really important stuff there. The, the thing about um, being taking it personally, everyone takes it personally, except as you've identified, it's the other cats that are what's bothering Donna. So yeah. it's not personal to humans, it's it's the cat side of things. And when they're living in that kind of, constantly having to watch their back and look over their shoulder, it must be really scary to live in that scenario. So every owner's situation will be different as to what the steps they need to take as to whether they continue living together, whether one needs to be rehomed. But some things that can help in that scenario if they are living together is to have like a sanctuary room, which sounds like Donna would quite like. So whereby only she has access to it and the other cats don't. Ah, There's different ways of doing it. But one way that you can know for sure is if you put like a microchip cat flap in one of the internal doors, only allows her in um, and it's all her stuff in there that she needs that can make a difference. Putting different shelving in so she's got like different places to get up high. All the other cats can do that. And also just thinking when you put cat shelving in, you got to think about like the different cat walkways. So you don't want like, say, like just three steps like this, because you have one cat here and it's just blocking yeah. the other one. You need and to have like, diff- yeah, you can, you need to have like, if one cat was here, how can the other one walk around them and avoid mm. them? And, and using three at, day space to do that.
2: At what point should an owner, and I include me here, go, I'm hanging on to my cat so that I don't feel like a failure. Yeah. You know, at what point, like my mum ended up with Zara and Wizzy, who was, also an amazing cat, but a bit more like, don't with me, this is my territory. And they had one massive fight one day, mother and daughter, by the way, one massive fight, and they were never able to be in the same room ever again after that, not even, I mean, it was very dramatic. So we ended up one cat living upstairs in one room, one day. I mean, just so miserable and event waited two years and had to rehome the quizzy. Where, where is the Is there a recognisable threshold for that? Or should one persevere if one can? What's, what's correct?
1: So it's ultimately about putting cat welfare first. And that's the stuff, that's the thing that people really struggle with. Like you say, they feel like they've failed, even though they haven't. And actually that's why I'd encourage people that sometimes rehoming is the best cat welfare thing to do. And how you put your cat first is to say that she would be happier in this scenario. Um, Everyone's threshold is different. And often it's a case of when the owners are ready because, you know, I can see a situation where the cats are definitely ready and they need to be rehomed, but it's trying to persuade the owner's, and get them to that point as well.
0: Hmm. It is tough, though. Like, do you know what I mean? I, I, yeah, I imagine that's a really like even the thought of that. Russell must be like, Ugh. I'm not. There's no way. There's no way I could do it. Yeah. Because I'm,
2: but like I say, I'm a, I live a, in a privileged position of having multiple rooms in a garden. It's,
0: probably like 10% or less of the country, you know? Yeah, but I know what you mean, it's such a tough... But again, I get what you're saying, Nikki, about feeling like it's a failure, but it, it's not, is it? Because there's so many different yeah. kind of facets that go into it that, you, you know, you can't really view yeah. it as that. Um, our next um, cat's tale uh, comes from Sarah. Let's say from Sarah.
1: Hi, Adam. I have a 15-year-old female cat and I've recently found a male kitten, approximately 10 weeks old, that had been abandoned. He is a lively, healthy kitten who at first used litter trays. After a couple of weeks, I found he was peeing on the bed. I thought this was because of the smell of my other cat. I washed all of the bed and changed the quilt, but he still wants to pee on the bed. What do you think could be the cause for this? Thank you.
0: Right, well, I'm going to pass that over to you, Nikki. I know she addressed that to me, but I'm <laughs> not in any position to, to even hazard a guess, so go on.
1: Well, there's so many things to say. I want to say first this, but first this. Um, first thing they have to do is get a vet check to rule out medical reasons, and they do need to get a urine sample tested because the example given talks about urine on the bed um, because it's really common for there to be something like cystitis and that's why they're doing it. So that needs to be ruled out first. Then the next thing I want to say is it's not personal. Everyone thinks that cat's pee on the bed is personal, it's about them. And if it is, it's normally in a positive way because the cat feels reassured by the scent of the owner and that's where they feel safe enough to toilet on the bed. Also, if you think about the bed, most people's beds are really clean. They get, like she was saying, like you know, I clean the bedding straight away. So um, it's not dirty at all. It's really soft underneath their paws and it's high up as well. So they feel safer higher up. So I would look through all the sort of what I call the litter tray checklist. We have it on our cat's protection website um where you just go through like how many litter trays have they got where are they located like what type of litter you're using is it soft enough have they got three centimeters deep because that's the, the average cat likes that there needs to be somewhere private you know not but accessible so not overlooked by the cats um so you want to avoid putting them in say like conservatories um next to glass back doors next to cat flaps because they're high traffic areas that are really off-putting for cats the good thing about toileting stuff though is when you really unpack it Cats and humans are really similar in mm. in our toileting habits. You know, we want privacy and we want it clean and and so do the cats. So once you can kind of get owners thinking about that, then mm. we can make some headway. We're
0: going to do another cat's tale as well. Uh, next one comes from Scott and he says, uh, "Our two fur babies are house cats? Would it be okay to buy a catio uh, so they could explore outside a little bit or would it confuse and unsettle them if they'd no, never been be. outside before? So, you know, catios are, are quite a... A common thing, aren't they? you? Know if someone's got um maybe you know not a big back garden or whatever, or you know if if the cats are house cats predominantly. Yeah. How does that work? Do you think, Nikki? Oh, sorry, Russell.
2: No, I was going to say. I mean, I when the previous generation, my, the ashes and photos and shrine, which are right next to me, just the right of the camera here, Wayne and Keith, my Tonkinese and my Bermilla I was in a one bedroom flat in Clapham working long hours. So I got a handy person to come over and from my sash window, I got chicken wire cage put on the outside so that my cats could lay fully on the windowsill safely and just look up and see the birds. So I did that with one and a one small one bedroom flat in, in South London. So and that changed their life. They spent their lives, their heads darting around, taking in the smells and nature. So if you're lucky enough to be able to do a catio or even do what I've done, the full deluxe version, cat-proof your whole garden, which is difficult, and they will get out over the course of their life once or twice. My cats are so happy. They live as outdoor cats. They, I don't think they realise that their territory is that restricted because they get the, all of that nature and they hunt and they catch things, and it's just amazing for them.
0: I think as well, Nicky, what, what Scott was kind of saying here as well is that if the cats have been outside before and then they have this access to a catio That's a good point yeah will it confuse them like will it unsettle them a little bit or will they just kind of you know adapt
1: so no it won't confuse them it won't unsettle them they will just be like oh this is exciting this is new because the cats like the novelty of like uh, russell says of all the smells and excitement and things to look at what would be confusing is they then took it away again. So if you're going to do it, you need to do it and then keep it.
0: Um, and the thing is as well, is there a right or wrong way to look after, you know, an in- indoor cat, Nicky? Because I think some people sometimes think, oh, it's cruel or, or whatever. I, I don't know. Do some cats actually like being indoors or I don't know. It's it's one of those things that you hear so many different conflicting arguments around this
1: yeah and lots of opinions as well yeah. um every cat's an individual and so some cats would definitely prefer to be indoor only particularly the more nervous ones who really even if they're given the access to outside they're just like oh i can't i couldn't think about that i couldn't do that um also at cat protection we recommend that um blind cats deaf cats um cats that are fiv positive which is a particular disease just for cats um are kept indoor only And um, I mean, with the deaf cats and the blind cats, they would be fine with like a cat-proof garden, Mm. but it's, you know, rather than give them free access just because of their own individual needs. Mm. So there are those variations. In terms of how to do it, um, Russell's already given a great example of like, you need to give them all the resources, lots of enrichment, training's really, really good fun and really stimulating for the cats. So all of those things make a big difference.
0: Yeah. So I think um, what we're saying there essentially is Scott, get your cat a yo mate get it done get it built I'm um,
2: yeah even Do- even donna the most nervous cat ever i've never seen a cat go thanks for the access but i'm okay she's out there 24 <laughs> 7 and she's the most nervous cat i know and yes bobbins might chase her about a bit but the call of birds and mice and grass and flowers and digging to their own toilet outside is so strong yeah. it would only be the most traumatized of cats that wouldn't
0: you
2: know, bite your paw off to
0: get out. (laughs) Uh, Our final uh, cat's tale comes from the broadcasting legend that is Mr Matt Allwright. We spoke to him uh, recently about his long-standing relationship with cats. Let's have a listen.
2: I grew up with cats, and the day that a cat was brought into our home, Figgy, our first cat, I was, like, 14 years old. I couldn't believe that there was another sentient being in the house that wasn't human i know that sounds ridiculous but i think it's maybe something that a lot of us experience it other it's like but it's clearly communicating with me yeah. it's clearly choosing to spend time with me but it's not human <laughs> and it like and then the relationship grows from that absolute moment of wonder into this friendship this i don't know what you call it like re- reliance on each other on some levels yeah. but also Clearly pleasure to be with each other.
0: So, Nikki, you know, a lot of people, you know, often like to say that, oh, cats only spend time because we provide food for them and they just want, you know, us to give them meals. But how much can actually be said from wanting to be companions to us as well?
1: Oh, definitely. And I think every cat owner out there knows that instinctively, that they are companions and it's a two way mutual relationship. Um, they enjoy being with us just as much as we enjoy being with them. And there's plenty of examples, particularly at the National Cat Awards, of that really special bond between people and cats. Yeah. Mm. And I've
2: experienced a continuum of that as well. I probably sound like I've got a problem with uh, bobbins. It's only because I'm so emotionally needy. But that that is one cat that is less bothered about the attention versus are you feeding me continuum than Terry, who will howl for my attention like he's starving, but he's not hungry, he just wants me to pick him up. I mean, you'll cry to be picked up, they're all different and the breeds are different too.
0: Right, Russell, before we wrap up, can you get a little high five going? With have uh, run with out, the
2: out of uh, Terry's favorite treats, so a dried sprat. Let's see what it does. Right, <laughs> Terry, treats, treat, treats, come on, treats. Speaking, sit, Terry, <laughs> sit, 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 <laughs> high five. Good boy, see that?
0: it's impressive that's impressive also i'll give you that mate i'll give you that i'll,
2: I'll be i'll be in trouble i'll be in trouble now because he doesn't like dried sprats so i've used up a, a an obedience credit but the clicker as well i won't use it because i do genuinely reserve it for recall but the clicker is dramatic within i'll have four animals dog three cats around me what, what is it what's going on is everything all right when when the cat doesn't come to that clicker that's when my guts turn because i know Oh God, we've got a breach
0: in the cat proofing. Right, final question. What's the best thing about owning a cat?
2: Just a companionship, the comfort and the solace. I love my human beings in my life, but sometimes you want someone that's just going to listen and provide physical comfort and human beings always open their mouths in the end. <laughs>
0: And it's not a meow that comes out. It's normally something <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Right. Well, that's it for this week on Cats Got Your Tongue in association with Cats Protection. Thanks so much, Russell Kane, for being on the show. My pleasure. We've, uh, we've loved having you. And uh, thanks again, Nikki, for uh, providing all the expertise on all things cats. Great.
1: Thanks, Adam.
0: And uh, don't forget, remember to hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Tell your friends who love cats all about us as well and share the podcast. Give us a review. And if you want to get in touch about anything, uh, your own Cats tails, you can give us a shout pod at cats.org.uk We'll see you next time on Cats Got Your Tongue.